Shut up and sit down. Thank you and welcome to another episode of Film D Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Thomas. I'm here with the engineer, Joe Walters. He's off the mic, though. He's just running the board. I have over the phone my guest for this week's podcast, episode six, Xavier Ruffin, creative writer, director, animator, illustrator, and creator of a web series that many of you should know about called Mad Black Man. Um, Xavier, please introduce yourself to the people. I could probably go on, but uh, I'll, I'll let you take the wheel. Thank you so very much for that uh, that introduction that you've given. I think uh, that's a pretty accurate thing. Uh, uh, I go by Mr. Ruffin, and I like to make things. Uh, it's the best way for me to introduce myself. All right, cool, man. That That's simple and plain. I appreciate that. And you are based in milwaukee that's correct hometown both of us right that is correct sir yeah man i remember um back in 2013 there was a a film in inevitable defeat of mr and pete actually 2014 there was a private screening at the milwaukee film festival i recall crossing paths with you there um at the time i i, I think I mentioned this offline that, you know, I wasn't in a place mentally or spiritually to kind of connect with too many people at that event. Um, however, I did see you realize a lot of the work that you've done at that point and even to until this point. And I just want to salute you. And personally, uh, I, w- I was excited to be able to get you on a podcast. And, you you know, the moment I reached out to you, you was like, yeah, I'm down. Let me know when. And I was like, this the date, this the time. And you was like, I'm down. Hit me up. So... I'm glad I have you on the podcast, bro. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. Um, so, I appreciate it, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've seen a lot of your videos, your music videos you produced. You made uh, quite a uh, headway with putting a lot of Milwaukee artists on the map with uh, your work uh, visually and uh, just your edits and your just your talent as a graphic designer even. Um, a lot of those uh, videos have a lot of different multimedia aspects that um, I don't see that often, especially from um, artists or music videos, even in places like, what, uh, L.A., Chicago, New York, um, some of that some of that stuff that you've done creatively always like makes me feel like hip hop has a breath of fresh air that's just like been missing for a minute. Uh, were a lot of those collaborative in a sense, like the music uh, artist approached you or you more so was the one behind the music video that was like, this is my, this is how I see this video in my head playing out based upon this particular song. Um, or was it kind of a collaborative process? I think with film, it's almost always a collaborative uh, process. It's a real team sport. Um, and so to kind of get directly to your question, most often I get approached by people. I rarely um, go and reach out and say, hey, man, I think we should do this or do that or the third. And a lot of times what actually happens is somebody has a project that they want to they want to save, like it's not going right. And then so they end up calling me and be like, hey, can you make this better? <laughs> and then uh, that's oh, where wow. a lot of uh, the animations coming and going on top of videos and stuff came from, mm-hmm. was somebody would shoot a video and they wouldn't like the edit that they got. And then they'd ask me to beef it up or add some things to it and make it a little bit fresher and make it a little bit doper. And that kind of became my MO. So, like, over and over again, people would hit me up, like, hey, we got this video. We need to take it to that next step. Can you throw this extra sauce on top of it? And I'd be like, all right, cool, yeah, I can do that. And then sometimes, uh, a lot earlier on, um, I would always sit down with artists. Uh, well, they would send me the song, and I kind of, my process is, you send me a song, um, and if you, like, have a blank site, or you might give me a couple ideas or of directions that you would thinking about going in and then I listened to the song like three times and the first the first time I just closed my eyes and let the song speak to me and tell me whatever it wants to tell me mm-hmm. and then my mind starts to visualize different um, uh, storylines and things and then I'll go back and I'll watch it uh, listen to it again and 
by the second and third time, I'm actually watching a music video in my head play out. Uh, and then I just kind of write that down into a treatment and share it back with the artist. And then we build off of that and then we try to execute to that idea. So like a lot of really early, early videos like um, Gerald Walker, The Missing Piece, Prosthetics, Jungle, um, Gerald Walker's uh, PSTFU. Those are all like done in that process. Um, and sometimes things just happen on the fly. Like uh, the music video I did for Simone. I don't know if you allow for profanity on here. No, you good. Um, you can say whatever the fuck you, you want. Yeah. <laughs> He's got a record called Bullshit. Um, we were in Florida and we, we just kind of showed up and we were like, all right, we're here. We're going to do some videos. Uh-huh. And we figured out, uh, and we figured it out. We, uh, he played me a bunch of songs, like four or five songs. And then I just started weaving narratives between all the songs. And uh, we shot Let It Go and we shot Bullshit. And those were like impromptu, uh, just trying to create a story and weave things in and out of it. Um, because of time and scheduling, we didn't get to finish the other three videos. Mm-hmm. They kind of rounded out that whole little situation, scenario, story thing. But we still working on that uh, we still trying to figure out ways that we can be created together. But, you and Jared um, Walker? Uh, me and Raz Simone. Oh. Uh, he, actually, he actually just came through uh, Milwaukee not too long ago. He played laser tag. It was, it was dope. <laughs> but, um, nice. Yeah. But the process always changes. Uh, not too much, but it's pretty much always a collaborative effort. Sometimes artists to say, do whatever you want to do, whatever vision you have, I'm with it because I believe in you. Sometimes other artists approach me with loose ideas and I just tighten them up for them. Uh, some artists have very tight knit ideas already, um, but I haven't really uh, experienced it, experienced that myself yet too, too often. But yeah, it's always a team effort. Okay. So that anything video with classic that was almost was that one of those examples where the the song really spoke to you and it just made it like easy to illustrate just or um, plot out those image that those shots that you wanted for that video or was that yeah one that, yeah anything was anything was. Uh, a really dope uh, experience for me um, when you're trying to visualize the song in a different way and try to understand what it was it was like sitting back and realizing that this is this is a man like breaking up with a girl through the song like literally that's what this song is about right. and I like to try to understand artists and their intentions when they, when they create music um and then unravel that and show that in a different way. So I was, so I was like, yo, it would be dope if if I didn't treat this music video like a typical performance piece and instead just try to be honest with the story of what the song is and almost do this weird kind of breaking of the third wall where it's just he's playing a song right. for, for, for the chick and then she figures it out. Um, and what that means and all the layers that go behind that and what is it what does it take for a person to have to do that? You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know how to say these words to you directly, mm-hmm. so I wrote you a song <laughs> instead. <laughs> Man, that, that, and for me, as I was watch, like watching the music video for the first time a few years back, um, it was one of those things that as she realized it, I realized it as a, like a watcher, just a, you know, an active observer, like, hold up, this guy talking about breaking up with her at the same time. He like making this song as bogus as hell. Um, and that was excellent storytelling too. It just let me know like, dude, this guy, whoever produced this one is a great storyteller. And two, like just knows how to identify the perfect, partnerships with other creatives like i've i have yet to see you really produce anything where you haven't worked with somebody that's meets you like tip for tat creatively um and that's right. a compliment I, I mean thank you yeah. yeah 
Thank you. I try to. It's kind of like rappers choosing the right beats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. a rapper. Yeah, yeah. He got bad beats. Yeah, it's yeah. Hard for you. Yeah, and yeah. I was uh, speaking of music at some point in time. I was I was working with some producers, and they often said that you know a lot of rappers choose the wrong beats. Not only the wrong beats, but you have to identify what frequency your voice vibrates at, so as to know what vibrations and frequencies you that complement you as a vocalist. Um, I mean, there's a science to it all, and I never really realized that, but it makes so much sense uh, in the sense of knowing, like, when you hear Jeezy, you know Jeezy always going to be on some very hypnotic type, you know, um, dark, melodic type of tracks, you know, and so the same thing with T.I. His going to be kind of melodic, you know, uh, but uh, overall, you got those artists that don't make those decisions, the right decisions, making mixtapes over somebody else's beats, when it's like, that beat was chosen for that artist because of who he is as a vocalist, just his DNA. He's genetically made up to only be the cat that can spit over that track. Um, and uh, I think the same thing goes for anybody making a film even too. You know, you have the same idea of like somebody being creative uh, enough to realize that you know this film is something that they should play in, or this is a film that they should maybe just be a producer on. Um, that kind of brings me to one of the points I didn't want to get too in depth on, but touch on um, the Oscar so white issue on just a general level because I know one of the actors in your web series, uh, Mad Black Man, uh, produced a you uh, not a YouTube, a Facebook video speaking out against Jada's call to boycott. I don't know if you saw the video. Uh, yeah, that's all right. <laughs> what's the actor's name again? No offense to him. But... Pierre. Pierre? Yeah, Pierre Edwards. That's right. One, how did you get him on, uh, get him as well as the other artists, that uh, actors that you got on your film how did you get connected with them two what did you think of his opinion of uh the oscar so white black uh black artist protest at the oscars this year um well first uh i got in, i got connected to pierre through uh, a mentor of mine um cool robert townsend excuse me i was uh, drinking uh robert townsend uh he he linked me up um, with Pierre and a couple other uh, people. Uh, a lot of the actors were found just through like auditioning or whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, Pierre blessed us with his presence, uh, which was cool to have someone who was a, a vet in the game to come yeah. through and um, right. show us, share his talents with us. Uh, as far as his uh, his podcast opinion, um, I'm trying to remember exactly what he said uh so i can't quote him directly but i think it was something to the tune of hey jada that's cool you and will can boycott if you if you want you're good you're set uh you don't necessarily need to pander to any of these people out here getting jobs there's a whole nother uh class of actors there's a whole nother generation of actors who can't afford to be blacklisted or can't afford to uh, refuse their invite because the wrong person might just say, well, you're not going to work anymore, mm -hmm. period, if you don't show up. So it was kind of, I think he was kind of saying, like, that's all right for you guys to choose to do for yourselves, but as far as trying to ask everybody to opt out it's not like we currently have an infrastructure where the majority of uh, non-white actors um, can exist outside of uh, that Hollywood, that version of Hollywood that put together the Oscars. And um, I agree and understand uh, where P.A. is coming from. There's a whole list of people who really, who might have got invited to the Oscars for the first time, second time, third time. Yeah. They are looking forward to networking and being seen by different people and seeing different people to help up their own stock to get the next job. You know what I'm saying? I personally 
I'm always excited whenever I see black actors working, period, you know, and I get especially excited when they get to do uh, bigger and different challenging roles that are that tell a more human story instead of just uh, a bottle box trope that we're used to seeing over and over and over again. Right. Um, so I personally, I'm not mad at anybody who says that they're not going to watch or they're not going to participate in the Oscars because of how they feel that nobody got nominated. You know, you have movies like Creed that did really well. There were really good movies, movies like Straight Outta Compton that did amazingly well, um, that had amazing performances, um, but yet no nominations. Well, not, not even to say no nominations, because both Creed and Straight Outta Compton have nominations, mm-hmm. just not for anyone of color that were involved in those movies, which is kind of weird and amazing when you think about how many black actors were on screen, how many black people were behind the scenes, directing, producing those movies. Um, so, yeah, it's a miss. It, 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 it's a miss by the Oscars. Um, to have not nominated a single person of color or a single uh, black person this year. Um, but again, when you take into account where Jada is coming from, what she's basically trying to say is, uh, and she, I will admit it was kind of pretentious the way she said it, but I get what she's saying too, is that to grovel for uh, uh, attention and uh, inclusion um, and I'm kind of like paraphrasing what she's saying by using the word rival, but mm-hmm. to like beg for inclusion and attention kind of uh, reduces our our power mm-hmm. and as opposed to just saying we're okay, we're good, we're going to do what we do no matter what you say. You don't validate us. We validate ourselves. So I get where she's coming from. Um, but yeah, I'm not necessarily saying that we should segregate and say that we need to cre- we need to have our own thing mm-hmm. um, that is separate from them. But it is understanding that we can be amazing without their accolades. Absolutely. But we have to continue to perform at high levels, and we can't wait on them to be great. You know, we have to be great in our own right and understand that we are great. I think Spike Lee spoke to it. They, they asked him about it, and he he brought up um, She's Gotta Have It uh, and how he didn't win an award for She's Gotta Have It. The, I forget which movie won that year, that same year, but he, but he was like, but she get, She's Gotta Have It is being taught in film school, whereas that other movie isn't. Like, in the lexicon of film, She's got to have it stands out more. And I do agree with the fact that we can't wait for other people to tell us that we are good or that we are great. We have to just be great ourselves. Um, And as we continue to push and move the market, it'll be impossible to ignore us. We can, that's even evident now in the fact that there is flack about the Oscars being so white because there were a lot of legit contenders so we just got to continue to produce more and more legit contenders we have to continue to produce more and more people in the academy who vote for these things because if you have uh, a body of people who are on average uh, 75 percent or more uh, middle-aged and older white men then a lot of those guys are voting for their buddies. A lot of those guys are voting for people that they know. A lot of those guys are voting for the movies that they were interested in seeing. And those, that demographic doesn't necessarily fall within the movies that black and brown people are creating or making because a lot of the times we are making movies for ourselves because we are disserviced by the industry. Um, there's not a lot of stuff coming out of the industry for us, so we make stuff for us. So it's kind of hard for us to uh, get nominated if our movies that we're making for us, by us, don't include the demographic of people who vote for those movies. So we just have to get into the voting demographic so that we can start to include our movies in, in the discussions. That's my 
my opinion and my take on it. No, and you articulated it well. Um, I think that everything you said is uh, much in line with things that Ice Cube even mentioned about how, you know, he's not going to an event that he wasn't, he never was invited to or never attended in the first place. So um, for him to be concerned with the nominations of a film that did rather well at the box office, he knows that the people that were fans of NWA saw the film and the people, you know, the young people that are new to NWA got a history lesson. And for them to be concerned with the acknowledgement of um, the Oscars or any other awards uh, organization, they it's not necessary because they have the fans. And that's all you really need are the fans. Now, my question to you as a fan of film, um, what what films do you think really should have been? I don't know of the films that could have been nominated featuring black artists or actors or producers or creative writers, etc. Of those films that had the potential to be nominated for the Oscars, which one of those do you think was truly snubbed? Um, I don't, uh, like I said, I mean, I think like Creed and, um, and, Straight out of Compton, uh, I feel like those were kind of no brainers as, as far as like nominations. Um, well, I don't want to say no brainers, but I think those are some of the big contenders that didn't uh, get a, a look or a nod mm-hmm. like they could have, like they should have. For what? The, it, maybe the acting roles or like. Corey Hawkins, who now is going to be playing the new lead on Twenty Four Legacy, or like um, the young brother that played Easy E, or like, are you talking about maybe yeah, the direction Eazy-E, or Best Eazy-E Picture? Okay. Yeah, Easy okay. E's performance. That was that was a crazy performance. It was uh, when he's in a hospital, man. It's, it was just it was so visceral, so real. Yeah, he was um, alone. The best direction, even right. the whole, the whole, the way that whole thing came together, um, was was great. And I think that um, they they probably could have got one for screenwriting for uh, for Creed too. But okay, I'm not. I don't really concern myself too much with the like the award shows and the award accolades. I just okay. I like it. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Are you? Are, do you more so? Uh, are you one of those people that are of the uh, mind that you know you don't need awards you don't produce your work for awards you produce it because you know it's good art and you want to put it out there into the world yeah I think uh, awards are always like uh, a great a great uh, token um, of reassurement reassure, reassurement that uh, people see you and they recognize what you're doing, mm-hmm. um, but you can get that out of uh, fans and or just keeping your ear to the ground and listening to the culture. You know what I'm saying? I didn't win an award for my black men, but I get people asking me about it all the time, and people mm-hmm. bringing it up, and people talking to other people about it, all introducing me. Honestly, oh, guys made that, and mm-hmm. so that lets me know that it reached a group of people which was my intention when I wrote it, when I put it together, when I put it out, I was like, I want to make this statement. And I want to say it to uh, this certain amount of people. Uh, and I want to help uh, affect the way particular people think about this subject. And, you know, little, uh, lo and behold, after we made our show, the actual Mad Men show ended up giving more time, more screen time, and more character uh, uh, arcs to its black characters. Mm-hmm. And I like to feel like we added to the atmosphere to help create that and help make that possible, which was the goal of what we were doing. Um, so right it's on. like that in and of itself is enough reward that I don't need an award from somebody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, awards are cool to say, like, your peers agree with the fact that you're dope, 
but it's like I don't I don't make stuff to win awards. I make stuff to create things and get them out of my mind onto the page, you know. Yeah, I feel you. And however, I'll say this. There are times when I would love to outcompete my peers and I'll just use this as an example. When I was in high school, I went to Milwaukee High School of the Arts and I transferred there from private school where I was going um, to a Luther, Wisconsin Lutheran High School. And when I transferred, I officially became because they have like the theater programs, like every program got like their levels at uh, at Milwaukee High School of the Arts. So when I got there, it was my sophomore year. So I was in the soft sophomore year. I was put in a freshman program because I was new to the theater program. However, when it came to my senior year, I put in a special request like through all of these different uh, forms. I had to fill a, write an essay. I had to prove like why I was, why I should be qualified to be a part of the senior theater program because I wanted to direct a senior project and win the best uh, senior uh, production award for my senior class because I just felt as though I was that much more doper than all of them combined. And that was my mission the whole senior year. Like I did nothing but focus on making sure that I put on the best production possible. Now, do you ever feel like you ever just want to shit on your peers and just be like, you know what? I'm just going to crush you and do this thing. And then I'm going to walk away and level the playing field by playing the background. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, mean I think that's like the, the competitive age that uh, comes with the the culture. I Do think you think that people, there is a competitiveness in the in the culture of artists? I think I think that there's most definitely a competitive edge when it comes to speaking about the hip hop culture. Yeah, I was going to say, of course, yeah, 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 yeah. And I think that I think it's safe to say that both you and I belong to that culture, uh, and that's something that's bigger and deeper that comes uh, with us before we get to our chosen mediums of expression because hip hop is like it's bigger than rap music, you know what I'm saying? Hip hop finds its way into uh visual arts, it finds its way into fashion design, it finds its way into music, it finds its way into film, you know, um mm -hmm. uh it's like the movie Dope is a hip hop movie. Yeah, Even I can't wait for that to come on Netflix, man. I'm thinking about to binge watch the yeah. hell out of that for like forty eight hours. Yeah, and it's like no matter if the if the music in it is rap or not, it's a hip hop movie. And uh just saying that Straight Art Compton is a hip hop movie, mm -hmm. even if you remove all the rap music from it, it would still be a hip hop movie because it speaks to our culture. Yeah. But there's always a competitive nature, of course. Like I see people making videos and I wanna be like, Yeah, let me remind them who I am real fast and make a video and put it out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But yeah. it's it's never, it's never because like I want an award or I want an accolade. It's because you want to flex your your muscles because you want to, yeah. Uh, you want to do your best when you go out uh. competitively. You want to be at your best. Yeah. And uh, a lot of times you believe in yourself. You have the confidence in yourself to say, I can do better than what I'm seeing out here. So mm -hmm. I'm going to get out here and do my best. Mm -hmm. And I like to maintain a certain level of uh, humility in knowing that there's always another person who does something better than I do, mm -hmm. um, but there's nobody who can do me better than me. You know what I'm saying? And so it's like it's all about me knowing the things that I want to do, me pushing myself into new areas and doing different things. Like a web, the web series is a new area for me. I am working on another idea for a new web series at this current time. Oh, that's uh, what's up. But like, yeah, but feature like feature films is uh, is a new and different area for me. And it's funny we talked about the, the anything and the uh, working with classic because that's where the, the feature film that I'm working on called Time of Our Lives. Uh, I'm working on with him, um, and we're actually picking up the formula that we followed for anything music video and essentially trying to um, apply that to this feature film uh, idea. Um, but we'll talk about that more at a later date. Yeah, no um, doubt, no doubt. Yeah, I definitely would like, love to yeah, get you back on the podcast, talk more about the web series when it drops. Um, I'm excited about just knowing you working on that. 
that's that's what's up. I I had yeah. no idea you were working on Time of Our Lives with Classics. So you were working on this feature film. You're what are you? You're writing it, right? Yeah, I'm writing it right now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I I interrupted your writing session to get you in on this episode. So. <laughs> Um, I'm not going to ask you too much about the concept overall. I just know that it's going to be dope because it's coming from dopamine productions. I mean, nothing right. you've done. I've not, I have not seen anything that I'm like, that ain't, that ain't Mr. Ruffin. That ain't, that ain't his, that ain't him. Who who made that? But, um, it's, uh, it just, it always has, it, it, Everything you do is dope. And that brings me to one of my questions about you just as a filmmaker overall. When did you fall in love with film? Like, when did you get to a point where you're like, you know what? This is what I'm going to do. I'm making film. Uh, that moment, that realization where you know you can't not have it. Um, and I don't know. I think that happened sometime maybe in 2012 when I was spending so much time working on my videos and stuff outside of work, I was working at Coles, and, like, everyone knew what I was doing, and they looked at me, and they were like, hey, man, can you bring some of that back over into into here? Can you uh, can you <laughs> refocus here at work? And I was just like, uh, no, nah, not really. Uh, all right, well, you're going to have to choose either stay here <laughs> at Cole's at this quote-unquote good-ass job or, uh, you know, do something different. And I looked at him and I was like, well, uh, uh, it's going to be my last two weeks. <laughs> uh, I'm out of here. Uh, that happened That happened four years ago. Uh, uh, this month, four years ago is when that happened. Um, and I guess that's kind of like when you realize that the girl that you've been flirting with for so long is the woman you should be with for the rest of your life. Um, it, was, it was that moment um, when I just knew that there wasn't going to be a time in my life that I could foresee where I didn't want to do this, where I, where I wasn't going to be uh, knee-deep in film, in writing, in animating, in producing, in creating, uh, in getting these ideas out of my soul, out of my body, out of my mind, and into the world for other people to partake of. Uh, and what, just working with other creators. Is that your objective as a filmmaker? Yeah, yeah, it, it is. Like I like to, um, I like to work with other people and, and feed off of other ideas and help grow them and mature them and turn them into a, a bigger thing that other people can understand and um, just reinterpret things. Uh, but yeah, I mean, my my goal and my mission is just I have all these ideas that flop in my head, and I just want to get them out to the people, um, and hopefully they can relate because I make I make things that I like, you know what I mean? Um, and I feel like there's a lot of other people who are into the stuff that I like. So by happenstance, there's an audience for the things that I want to make because I myself am just a regular person. I just have spent time honing my skills when it comes to taking rough ideas out of my out of my brain and turning them into tangible experiences. Um, I was always into I went to for communication design, mm-hmm. which is a, a great um, typically uh, static medium mm-hmm. to, to move in. It's really safe; you can get a job pretty easy that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was always into film and into music and into uh, four-dimensional or time-based mediums because of the experience that they allow us as human beings to have because that's the world that we live in. We live in a visual, three-dimensional, uh, time-based existence that's always moving, always changing. Um, and 2D pieces are are cool to look at, but it's hard for us to experience them the same way or with the same amount of impact as, uh, say, film and music can give us when it comes to, like, changing our moods and actually affecting our moods and creating memories and all that kind of stuff. So that's that's kind of how I ended up in the medium that I ended up in. Not that I don't still just shoot pictures or... Uh, uh, 
draw. I, I definitely do still do that stuff. Um, but it's just not uh, all the time. Yeah, I saw you created a, a short on your Vimeo of a drawing for Straight Outta Compton. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was dope. I love watching just the creative process, like going to them art festivals in the park where you're just watching somebody create something off the fly or you standing around watching maybe somebody juggle like 15 fire flames. It's just like, dude, how do they do that, man? It's just, it's that focus and it's that, uh, for me, I mean, even when I was at a point where I, it's that challenge of being, you want to challenge yourself and be able to say to yourself, you know what? I said I was going to do it and I did it and it was dope. Um, so w- for you, when it comes to those type of challenges from a creative standpoint, what's the writing process or what's the creative process for you? For example, with uh, maybe you can use uh, Mad Black Man as an example or the current project you're working on, Time of Our Lives. What's that process like for you? Um, when it comes to like writing, what, what typically happens, uh, so what happened with Mad Black Men and Time of Our Lives, actually, Mad Black Men um, started off as an idea for a sketch. Uh, I was gonna, I was working on like a little sketch comedy uh, show or troupe. Um, this was this out of comedy sports? Ago, back in like, no, it wasn't. It wasn't out of comedy sports. It 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 never happened. Okay. It, it didn't okay. happen. Okay. Um, but it was gonna be something. It was gonna be something akin to what Dorn Tabent kind of is. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is back in like 2010, and so we just we would just sit and brainstorm uh, a whole bunch of ideas for us to film. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of them was like Mad Black Man. You know, like I was gonna come up with a reason why there was no black people on the show, and it was because in my mind. Uh, a black dude, a black man wouldn't survive in that environment for more than five minutes without smacking somebody and losing his job. <laughs> so that's how that's that's how it started. So yeah, 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 that's yeah. That's a yeah. little two-minute idea. And then when I pitched it, I pitched it to Daily Motion. I pitched it as a web series again because I was trying to stretch it. And um, they said it was going to have a little bit of money behind it. So I was like, all right, why not do something a little bit bigger than just a sketch? And then they picked it up, and I was like, oh, my God, well, now i got to write it. You know, I, I didn't actually have this vision. But um, what happened was, so I took what I felt was a good idea or a decent premise, um, and I made an outline for it, uh, the outline of the story. And I had my uh, my writing partner, uh, Kent Jameson, who was he's a dope writer, a dope script, script writer. And I actually, I'm talking with him right now to help me uh, finish up the, the time of our live script. Um, what I did was I I made the outline and all the character backstory and I gave it back to him and then mm-hmm. what he would do is he would take my outline flesh it out into script pages so it's like I give him the skeleton and he put the meat and the muscles on top of the skeleton to make it work mm-hmm. and then I come back through and I take that newfound body throw it in the gym, get it all nice and tight, and put a tailored suit on top of it, right? So I take the script that he gives me, I come it through, I edit it, I update some of the language to fit the characters the way that I think they should they should sound and say, uh, and, and polish it off. And then now we got the script that we're going to shoot from. And I really like that process because um, I traditionally, like, don't like to write. Like, I don't like it. <laughs> It was like one of my respective things to do, but I like to communicate. So it, it, it's just kind of like the thing that I have to do to get that communication out. Mm-hmm. So working with uh, a writing partner like Kent, he helps me uh, expedite the process by getting those ideas into the correct format and getting just the meat of the pages out. And then I can go back and uh, just retailor it to to fit the voice, uh, make sure the voice is exactly how I how I imagine it, how I how I see it. Um, so that's the that's the general writing process. And then I mean, once you get to that point, then you want to start sharing it, getting notes on it. I might send the script out to uh, Robert Townsend, and he he'll give me his notes on it, and then I'll, again.
can go back and make adjustments um, just to make sure that the story flows, to make sure that the tone is right. Um, but that's that's typically the writing process when it comes to that that narrative format. Uh, that's what, I, what we go through. Okay, okay. Man, I would have loved to have donated to that campaign if I wasn't broke at the time, bro. But I I remember oh, you going. Yeah, I remember the whole campaign for that was just it. It was kind of at a time in my career, even because I work in marketing, where I was like, you know what? I feel just like these characters he described in this web series. I have to donate, but I was too <laughs> broke to do that. Um. Well, yeah. yeah. Every it, it was just moments we'll that we have another one soon enough. Okay. Okay. Cool. I I just I'm I'm down for donating. Let me know as soon as it go up. So, with your work on music videos, web series, now features in shorts, uh, is there something that, a career that you would choose outside of the one that you have currently that you would want to do before you are laid to rest? Um, well, I taught before. I know I want to teach again. Um... I love uh I love the Socratic method and I love just trying to uh ask questions in order to teach and help people find their own truths. Um uh so I know that's something that I wanna do. I actually wanna get into fashion. I feel like sometime in my forties, uh I'm gonna start trying to like seriously design clothes and coats and uh, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I kind of want to see if I can get established what I can do with this next decade uh, and film. And I don't I don't see those things as separate things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just want to see myself having a Kanye moment. So um, I'm happy that Kanye is doing what he's doing now. Right, he's right, paving right. the way for me to do what I want to do in about like 10, 15 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but... Those are, those are the other things that I'm, I'm interested in, too, in doing. Um, I also like music. Mm-hmm. I like uh, producing uh, music and stuff like that. So I know you something that I want to dabble in. I, just, I like making stuff. And so, uh, I mean, I feel like I put myself in a position to be a creator. Um, and different people are going to know me for different things. Right now, the biggest thing moving is... Uh, what I'm editing and what I'm making as, as a filmmaker, and I'm not mad at that. I like that. That's that's cool. Um, but at some point, there's going to be people who know me for uh, whatever animations that I'm working on or whatever I'm doing. There might be people who recognize if I I'm music. There might be people who know the music that I make. Um, I just want to create stuff ultimately. So. All right, bro. Next question. It's kind of related to the retirement phase of your life. If there was one film you can watch on your deathbed, what film would that be? Like, if you was in a hospital, you was confined to a hospital, and all you can do is just, like, watch the TV in the hospital, and you got to deal with listening to these dead voices laughing in the background on old-ass channels like TV Land. What if you could pull out, you know, Blu-ray player, throw in something, you watch it, that's all you get, what would it be? Uh, that's, that's hard. Like, always those, like, one of those questions. Uh, top five was a dope comedy. I feel like if I'm... If I'm that film was dope. Or whatever. Yeah. Uh, if, I'm, if I'm on my deathbed, like, I, want, I need to watch something that I can laugh at. Uh, and I, I like... Top five a lot. That was a, a like I stood up laughing in at the movie. Like I, I haven't, I've never done that in my life before. <laughs> um, so probably, probably that movie. I mean, I love Eternal Sunshine for the Spotless Mind. Um, that's another movie that I love. But yeah, man, those those choices are hard. I feel like I always have a new favorite movie every couple of years. There's a, there's a couple. It's like a lexicon of like my favorite movies. Like I really like the wood. Um, I really like uh, made by the same man that um, made dope. Was it brown sugar. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know it's funny too, man, because I was watching dope. Yeah, and I didn't know who directed dope, and I was like, man, this is the wood two point And then I saw Stacy, <laughs> and I'm like, that's Stacy, Stacy, Stacy. And, and 
me I, I made everybody stay after the movie. I was like, we watching these credits. Right, right, right. They called him Stacy in the credits. And I was like, yes, they did. Oh, my God. And it was like, <laughs> this is the Wood 2.0. And I was like, that's the high, the same high school from the Wood. Like, yeah, ah, yeah, yeah. And then I looked it up. I was like, yeah, yeah that is. That, that's what it is. Uh, yeah, but like those little moments, like I love those little moments, man. And like when I write, I try to program moments like that, and I appreciate people who do that kind of stuff too. Creators that uh, like just leave underlying and add layers to things for the different levels of people watching, because there's a lot of people who watch that who ain't not even gonna recognize it. Right? Who was the director that uh, Rick? Uh, I, I can't pronounce his last name. Um, Rick. Famuai, I can't remember how to pronounce his name. He's Nigerian. I don't. I, yeah, I should know how uh, to pronounce his uh, last Famu, name. Famuyiwa. Famuyiwa. Okay, Rick Famuyiwa. Yeah, that brother. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> he uh, Rick. yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He did uh that and the wood. And yeah, the moment I put that flick on and saw the high school, I was like. This had to be the same director. And then you saw Stacy. Yeah, all those moments was just, yeah. It, it lets you know, like, this guy has nothing but love for Inglewood. So, uh, yeah. And Stacy's story is tragic. You, you ever heard uh, uh, what, what happened what? What happened to do? With the, the what? guy who played Stacy. Is that he based on a real character? Uh, yeah. A real person? No, DeAndre, DeAndre Bond, uh, the guy who played Stacy. No, uh, it was yeah, man. So, cause remember, like he was doing a bunch of movies. Stacy was one of the best characters in the wood. Yeah, um, and uh, he did that. Then he uh, did that other movie where he was in prison, and he actually had got the job to play. Um, uh, I forget uh, Antoine Fisher. He was gonna play Antoine Fisher. And okay. I think it was like Denzel Washington. Whoa, yeah. Called him on the phone and told him like, "Hey, man, you got it. You gonna you gonna play Antoine Fisher? This is gonna be you know what makes you. You know what I'm saying? Because it'll be like the first leading role or whatever." And he went home right after he got that call. Still like geeked off the call. Ended up getting into a fight with his like his step pops. And uh, he got a knife to defend himself, and his step pops rushed him. And so he defended himself with the knife, and his step pops ended up dying. So he, he had to go to jail on a on a on a homicide. He did like ten years in jail. Like the day he found out that he was going to be his first leading role in a major movie, he ended up going to jail for ten years. So. That's that's what happened to him. That's what he disappeared to. And then that Stacy role was like one of the first roles that he got since he got back out. Dude, I'm sorry. I just realized I'm Googling this cat. I'm listening to everything you're saying. However, I just realized he played Busy B on Sunset Park. I, I didn't even realize that. I have no I, I feel dumb. I had a dumb moment just now. But, yeah. Busy B. Yeah, he was right inside Terrence Howard, too, man. This guy, and that was a great role. Man, yeah, he. that's unfortunate, though, that that happened to him. I, I had no idea, though, that that happened. I was I was kind of wondering, like, I should at the moment when I was watching the film, I was thinking, like, why haven't I seen this guy since the wood almost? So that explains it. The things that happen when your family, uh, I don't know, uh, I don't even know how to put it, but yeah, sometimes, you know, you just have situations where you got family issues that become greater than the challenges that you face outside with the world every day. So um, I can understand that in that sense. However, um, I hope I hope to see him doing some more work in the future. That would be that would be a great uh, comeback after everything he dealt with. So. That is one of the films. So is top five. Uh, if you had to choose between the two, I mean, which one would it be? Uh, probably. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm gonna rock with top five. That was my first choice. Okay. 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 I'll probably change next year or the year after. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so with with that, we've um. 
I, I kind of, I, I think it before we got on the uh, podcast, I asked you, uh, I, well, I mentioned at some point that I would like to discuss the, maybe some of the pointers or some of the advice as you say, you say you, you know, some your next career in life will be uh, to be a teacher. If you had to teach or pass on knowledge to, you know, the next generation on how to produce uh, films. I mean, even right now, you know, you got young kids that are making web content daily, uh, whether it's for personal or for professional uh, means. What kind of advice would you give them? Uh, what would maybe be your top five things to uh, for a up and coming filmmaker, a millennial filmmaker to know when it comes to making film? Um, I I'll see if I can get five. Uh, one, the first of which would be something um, I, I had. I was honored to have a conversation with Craig Williams, um, uh, one of the Williams family, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the writer of uh, Second Generation Williams and uh, okay. Dance Movie, I think was the one he did. Uh, and what one of the things he said, it was like one of the most important things uh, was to finish, like just finish. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is you're making, whatever it is you're working on, no matter how long it takes, and how much work you got to do to get it done, just get it done. There's going to be so many lessons that you learn from just pushing through it and getting to the end. Um, uh, but the reward of seeing your vision come to life, even if it's different, it's always going to be different. Uh, it's always going to be a little bit altered from however you originally saw it. Um, that's the nature of, of the, uh, the beast, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Excuse me. But, like, finishing is one of the, the best things that you can do uh, because it means that you're creating work, you know what I mean? It means that you're getting it out into the universe and people are able to see it and able to respond to it. If you have, if you lay the rest with a thousand ideas, nobody ever got to see, uh, you know what I mean? Because you never finished none of them. Uh, that doesn't help you at all, <laughs> right? You know what I'm saying. Um, but so if you if you got a story you want to do, uh, carry it all the way through from beginning to end. You know what I'm saying. Get it done. Get it out. Um, That's number one. Even if it, it yeah. Um, number two uh, would be, and number one is for real because. I used to we used to make internet videos uh, way back in 2009, 2010, and we had a bunch that we didn't finish just because I was preoccupied with my job at work. And if I would have finished them, like we, I, I, we could be sitting on YouTube money right now, <laughs> like a lot of these other guys are. Uh, and I'm never envious about that. That's just that had to happen in my life for me to learn and me to know. Mm-hmm. And for when I got that advice to just finish stuff for it to resonate with me for real. Um, and that's the reason why I'm still working on uh, this time of our lives, uh, future film idea, because that idea happened at the same time as a mad black man idea happened. Mm-hmm. But, you know, features are a whole different level, a whole different scale um, than the web series stuff. But, you know, I'm still chugging along and I'm going to keep chugging along until I finish. Um, another thing that I will offer up is to say, uh, your gear doesn't make you great. Um, you can spend all kinds of money buying stuff because it's what the pros have or because you see people doing something about it on a blog. That's not going to make you a better filmmaker. It's not going to make you a better DP. It's not going to make you a better writer. I will make you a better adapter to have all these different things. They're tools. Uh, so, of course, some different tools uh, might have better specs and they'll give you a wider range of variety. But that all really comes down to how much practice are you putting in. A great artist should be able to create a great piece of work within the limits of the medium that he has to execute. 
um, he or she had to, to execute with. Right. Uh, and your main focus should be on your ability to ideate and your ability to take what's in front of you and reshape it and remold it to tell the story that you want it to be uh, or tell the story that it's telling you it can be. Um, you know, it's a great skill and a great asset to be able to work with what you got. Um, so if you got if you got five thousand dollars to your name, uh, it's going to be more beneficial to you to spend that five thousand dollars on the production of your of your whatever it is you're trying to make. Mm-hmm. or on the marketing of whatever it is you're trying to make than it is to, say, go buy a new Blackmagic camera and all of a sudden you broke, but you got the best, you got the newest camera out, but you don't have none of the gear to use it. You don't have um, no actors on your set. Uh, you, don't have, <laughs> you don't have any food for your crew. You know, because you put all your money into this camera, where your money could have been used in a much, much smarter fashion, spread across the entire production, as opposed to just getting some gear. Um, number three. Was, number three. Uh, uh, focus on um, character arcs and character development. You know what I'm saying? What's important in a story is how do how do the figures change? Uh, how can we how can we as an audience relate to people uh, in new and different ways? How do we see ourselves in their journeys? Uh, how do how when where can we see our own enemies and their enemies? Um, mm-hmm. But how most importantly, how do they change over the course of your story um, because it's it's boring to see somebody walk into something and walk out the same way. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So when you go writing and developing, it's all about how do we see that change manifest itself. And then once you start to talk about that, is how do we uh, incorporate the twist in there? You know, how do we make it? How do we keep people off balance? the whole time, you know what I mean? And yeah. that's that's the key. It's like when you when you walk in and you walk into a story and I, if I can tell you everything is about to happen in a story, I'm uninterested because I know what's gonna happen. But if you create a situation where I think I know what's gonna happen then all of a sudden that changes. Mm-hmm. Now I'm interested because I the you've broken the I don't want to say you've broken the rule, but it's like now I don't know what's going on. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So now I got to pay closer attention in order to try to predict. And then, uh, and if I can't predict anymore, that means I'm just along for the for the ride. Now you don't want to go all the way left and and like some align it too much where your your twist has nothing to do with the rest of the story. Because mm-hmm. then you like there's there's a lack in payoff there. Cause now you feel like you've been following along for no reason. But it's like, what is the payoff for the audience? What do they get out of uh, the experience that you're you're, you're showing them? Mm-hmm. Um, because not every not every piece of work has to necessarily fulfill some higher purpose. But it's like, what is the purpose for watching it? You know what I'm saying? Right. Is it simply to be entertained and deliver a laugh? That's fine. That's cool. That's perfect. That's cool. But let's talk about how you're going to deliver that laugh. And if you have messages and meanings that you want to put into them, kind of like what I was doing with my black man, that's cool too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you have the higher goal, figure it out. And then that'll help inform all the smaller decisions that you make along the way with your characters and your plots. Because if you know what the overarching story is about, the overarching curve and change is about, That'll help you make smart decisions along the way that add up to that bigger change. That's three. Yeah. Four. uh, Be kind to your cast and crew. (laughs) Um, Because you're all working together. Uh, Like I said, it's a team. It's a team sport. It's not. It's not a one man band kind of thing. Right. Uh, And um, I know in today's 
culture, it, it can be easy to uh, fall into that ideology or that thinking that, well, I can do it all by myself or um, this is me, this is the thing that I'm making. Um, but you got to realize that it's really uh, a team effort. And even if, if you're coming in as a, as a director, if you're coming in as a writer, uh, or not the writer, but like the producer of everything overall, um, you got to know that you really want the best team and that you're just helping to make decisions with other people. And um, you got to hopefully trust that you got a good team and they're bringing you good options to choose from. And then that'll help you produce the best piece of work that you can. Because even if you know, you're a musician and you're making a song and you got to pick the right beat, you got to pick the right producer, and when you um, play about a movie that's the reason why you write a script and you send it off to a couple people to get notes it doesn't mean you have to take all of their notes you know what I'm saying but you should be able to heed them and and then be able to rebuttal because uh, if they come at you and they say well why is this character acting like this here as opposed to this there and if you got a real reason, at least you can stand, you can stand on it, and then you can start to program that reason throughout the rest of your script uh, and make it make sense so that people don't have to ask the question, well, why is it like this here and not over here? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, uh, for number five, what I was saying is that it's rough. Uh, you got to get used to no. Um, you're going to hear no a lot more than you hear yes. It's like a 90% failure rate when it comes to this. So even mm-hmm. the greatest actors out here go out on auditions and don't get the part. Um, so you got to have a tough skin. and You got to be in love with it. You got to know that you can't. You got to come from a position of knowing that this is going to be the thing that you do for life. Like you can't not do it. Um, and that's going to be the mindset that you got to take in order to get into it because over and over and over again, plans are going to fall through over and over and over again. Things are not going to go your way over and over and over again. You're going to run into problems. You're going to run into issues. You're going to run into setbacks because it's just the way this business works. Um, so you got to have a motivated mind to keep at it and you got to know and realize that everybody that you look up to mm-hmm. in this business in this world has so many failures that you just don't know about uh outside of the ones that you do know about right just because most people don't broadcast the failures <laughs> yeah, like, I've so yeah i've had this conversation with uh yeah i've had this convo with one of my homeboys kevin hope a lot about how, you know, the backstories of some of these actors and how, you know, somebody like Morgan Freeman and Sam Jackson and so many others who didn't get a break until like the mid thirties. What, what happened before then, you know, for Sam Jackson, we somewhat know, you know, he had a very um, promising career as a stage actor prior to taking on a film. However, there are those like, Morgan Freeman, who, you know, he didn't get a break until about 50. Um, trying to think of some others, but there are just a lot of artists out there, not just even artists, but professionals that, you know, it took them until about the age 30 for them to realize what it what, what it is that they wanted out of life. They've had so many failures prior to that, and now they've reached a point where they, they've learned from all of those and gotten to a point where they know they're going to hear no, but you just got to keep pushing and persevering. So... I completely, I know where you're coming from. I, I guess I had to put my little two cents in on that too. But I, I all of your points were on are definitely uh, right on uh, in terms of understanding the story arc for your characters. You got to be able to be that type of uh, creative that not only understands your uh, protagonist, but also your antagonist because your story, oftentimes they say, you know, your story is only as strong as your antagonist is. Um, or your anti-hero in the film or your story or your play or whatever it is that you're creating, your anti-hero is really what makes your hero just as great as they are because of the obstacles that are in their way. And regardless of being on a personal level, you know, those goals 
for you as an artist as well as those goals for your characters are just as important and you have to be able to understand that your personal obstacles are some of the same obstacles that may make your characters just as strong you know you may have difficulties working with a team but the same thing goes for people in film or characters in film like Iron Man, uh, you know, those type of characters have a hard time working in teams. That's a poor example, but that's just an example in and of itself. And then uh, one thing I wanted to highlight, too, was uh, your point about story arcs in terms of like even a, a, a poor example of a film that did a great job with playing into those predictable type of stories, but then hit you with a twist was really i mean fantastic four it was a poor film but it hit you with a nice little twist where it was like all right this is the end and you just had to accept it and you was like i didn't see that coming i thought it was gonna be more fighting how did that happen but uh so um before we get off this call i just wanted to thank you first and foremost for being on this podcast i would love to get you on in the future to talk more about uh your future projects and the projects that you're working on like times of our lives as well as this uh, web series that you're developing so um before we go though in the event that i don't get you on in time but i i don't find out myself about all of these projects that you're working on in time where can i find out more and where can other people find out more about the works that you're doing now um, I'm gonna I'm in the middle of uh creating a new uh uh website web space uh for myself and all the things that I'm doing right now in the transition. So where you at on uh, social media? Of my own life. Yeah, um uh, you can follow me on Instagram, um Xavier Ruffin on Instagram. Um and uh my company's website website is uh dot pro, dopamine.pro. Okay. Uh, which is also gonna have some links to my to my socials in my name. Um, yeah. So those are the best places to to follow me. All right, bro. Thank you again for uh being my guest on episode six of Films D Podcast. And thank you to everybody who's listening to the Films D Podcast. Please subscribe to us on SoundCloud. Hit that heart. Give us some likes. Show us some love. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook, Instagram at Films D backslash all that or you can just go to filmsd.com and you can connect to us everywhere however you want to thank you again for listening peace